Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew. Okay, we're going to start tonight's show off with The Circle Song by Greg Olson. Spirits of the East, join our circle tonight. Move your unseen essence over and through us Spirits of the East guard our circle tonight May your hope and intuition renew us Heyo Heyo circle tonight Move your fiery essence over and through us Spirits of the south Guard our circle tonight May your fiery passion strengthen and renew us hey hey circle tonight Move your liquid essence over and through us Spirits of the West Guard our circle tonight May your deep emotion wash and renew us hey hey circle tonight Move your earthly essence over and through us Spirits of the north Join our circle tonight May the body and the stones now renew us Come on hey hey Hey, 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 hey,
to the Shaman's Brew. Tonight, I have a very special treat for you. There are a lot of pagan podcasts out there today, but my personal favorite is a show called Pagan Parents on the Edge, which is a perception of the pagan experience through the eyes of parents. It is produced by two friends of mine, Foxfire and Erwin, who share their personal experiences and insights as pagan parents in today's world. The shows are very entertaining, informative, and thought-provoking, but they are not parenting-specific, nor are they all about paganism. They are about down-to-earth, honest people raising their families through the pagan perspective. Regardless of if you are a pagan or if you are parents, I think you're going to love their shows. I am going to introduce you to uh, Fox and Erwin by playing one of their shows called The Spirits of Our Pets and Other Things. Next week I will be resuming my regular programming as the Halloween month begins and I do my best to set the mood with shows that will make you remember why you should be very, very afraid of the dark. Until then, it is with great pleasure that I present to you Foxfire and Erwin from Pagan Parents on the Edge. Welcome to Pagan Parents on the Edge, a perspective of the pagan experience through the eyes of parents. I'm your host, Fox. And I'm Erwind. And wow, tonight is our 50th episode, and we had like dancing girls and magicians. And balloons. And balloons, mimes, jugglers all lined up, and then we suddenly realized that <laughs> it really wouldn't be any point. We could pop the balloons. <laughs> If we really had them. <laughs> well, we're not doing anything particularly hugely special for the 50th episode of Pagan Parents on the Edge. There may be something coming up in the very new feature that might be kind of special. We'll just have to see what happens. But for our own celebration, we have a new computer set up. And we are no longer sitting two and a half years sitting in the hot, hot, hot what kitchen. What is this hot that you speak of? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, we've changed the studio setup, and we're not sitting in the kitchen anymore. We're now sitting in the comfy couch in the living room. This is uh, very different. So if things sound a little different, if I will work on it, of course, in the editing to make it as sound as, as good as possible, but uh, it might be us just adjusting to our new setup. I'm excited. It does feel like a celebration to me. It has been a lot of things going on in our lives lately, as as usual. It's as always, usual. <laughs> yeah, it's always a running race to try to keep up with the rest of the contestants in the world, uh, as if we were really trying to do that. <laughs> but it is so that homeschooling now is rapidly approaching, and the plans for that have now started to come together a little bit. We are putting... Thunderwolf in a once a week co-op and Featherwind and Featherwind into They're both going to be there. Yep, into a once a week co-op school which is populated but entirely by homeschoolers, correct? Mm -hmm. And Arrowwind is going to be teaching there. So this is a new and exciting thing coming up for us. Yeah, and maybe down the line we'll have a homeschooling episode. 
to talk about that more because our first episode we talked about it and then very quickly thereafter we quit homeschooling yes it just was so we went on an extremely random adventure very recently when the day of the night for the peak of the perseid meteor shower we decided to take a 110 mile drive to a more isolated area of the eastern coastline to watch the meteor shower and while we did get to see a number of most most excellent meteors we donated a considerable amount of blood to the local bug bank (laughs) while we were there we uh, decided to just simply lay out some comfy blankets and pillows in the back of our very tiny suv and wow what an adventure it turned out to be but i got to see a lighthouse and i got to see extraordinary meteors and it was quite an adventure it was very random and the point proud of us that we could still do that I am could just pack up and go. I am too, and that was my point for bringing that up. Was just the idea that just sometimes in life you just gotta. That was a seize the moment, seize the day. Exactly, you had to do it that day to see the meteors. Yep, you just you gotta kind of just every once in a while you just kind of just kick over the barrel and just jump up and do something or just grab a hold of a random thread and say, you know what, I'm gonna chase that. I'm gonna chase that down to the end and just see what happens. Boy, it was uncomfortable and it was hot and and we still got bug bites all over us from the adventure but man the meteors were spectacular some of them and the just the fun of doing this whole random thing was just totally outstanding now, this is not really where we're headed to tonight what i really have wanted to talk about now for some time and i've kind of been busting Erwin's chops on it a little bit every once in a while and we've done some things in the interim but now we've come back around to it that i have for some time now wanted to do a show about our pets as familiars which is not necessarily a word that I would use but as spiritual companions on our journeys and that led into the idea of actually talking about a broader idea of our own spirituality something that is very important to me is the idea of animism the idea of the spirit of everything around us and our place in that community of spirit but we'll get to that. we'll get to that anyways I want to tell everybody a story because I like to do that and I like telling stories and stuff about my dog that I had several number of years ago. His name was Jack. I did not name him. It was named by a roommate who owned him before I did and when she kind of gave up on him I took him under my wing and he was actually one of the greatest dogs that I've ever encountered in my entire life and even before our spiritual connection became something that I would identify as a familiar relationship there was a very definite spiritual connection between the two of us he was a hell of a puppy oh my god he was a horrendous horrendous horrible horrible dog he ate everything in sight he chewed up everything that wasn't nailed down the stories i could tell about that would take much more than this podcast and the time that and i'm going to spend on it i think we should post a picture of him on the thing okay if we can round up a yeah. picture of him to post that would be We've that would be most excellent but um, just to give people a, a idea what kind of dog was he he was a german shepherd lab great dane mix 
So he had big giant feet, long legs, a lab body with a lab face and lab ears, but he had German Shepherd coloring to his face, which was very unique that I've never seen an adult, another dog like him since then. But he was a hell of a puppy. And I remember one weekend I was going camping to a festival and my roommate just wanted the dog out from underneath her feet, basically. And she didn't want to have to worry about was she going to work and leave the dog at home. And I said, look, just let me take him camping with me and basically in three four days that dog learned everything that it operated on for the rest of its life and became the magic of the pagan festival i'm telling you <laughs> i mean, sit come stay here stay roll over lick my face curl up in a bed of nest of <laughs> dirty clothes with me you know whatever but he entirely turned around and we had a very spiritual connection between the two of us that happened during that gathering. I have always been one of these ones that have felt that I can communicate with the natural world in a certain way and things that have a very overt voice like dogs, cats, birds. I have always felt that sometimes I might not know what I was saying but that I could initiate communication with animals and it always came relatively easy to me but it like next leveled between me and this dog during this camping trip and one of the things that happened is we made a certain i won't go into some of the details but uh, we made a certain kind of personal agreement between the two of us you and the dog yes okay yes and he told me his name and while i could not pronounce it to you because it would be a series of body motions and dog sounds that I can't necessarily recreate. It basically meant golden-eyed one. And that really is just my human interpretation of what it really meant was more along the lines of someone who sees everything. It was very strange. It was. It's very hard to explain. As it is with so many magical moments, to be outside of the moment is very difficult to understand what it is like from you know the other perspective, from being yeah. inside the bubble. But it was one of those very pure, magical spiritual moments. And it was just so that pretty much from that point on, I sort of considered him like a familiar. He went every freaking where with me. He participated in rituals with me. He was admitted into rituals by other people that recognized that there was something different about this animal. We practiced natural magic together. He would find things for me that were magical. It was a really amazing relationship. Now, I have never really had that kind of relationship with any other animals. It was just so that I'd been brought up in a family that all, we raised small dogs in my family, silky terriers, very small yappy dogs. Don't get me wrong. Loved them to pieces at the time. But when I left home, I promised myself that I would get a big dog. I always wanted a big dog. I had a big dog when I was a little, little kid. There's another whole story about that, but this is not about that story. So I, I wanted a big dog. And when I moved away from home, well, I'm not going to go into the details, but it didn't happen until after I separated from my first wife. Well, I just want to skip forward a little bit and interrupt your story because I don't want to make this whole show about Jack. But I find that the story of Jack kind of leads into the story of the dog we have now, Rusty. The reason that we don't have Jack anymore, unfortunately, because you had such a strong bond with him. When I came along, I got along with Jack great, and and we were perfectly fine. But you then could certainly when, tell that there was an adjustment in him getting yeah, used to you. Well, I couldn't because I didn't know him before. Right. <laughs> but when we had kids, that was definitely the adjustment, and... 
Yeah, they Jack, were... Jack could not adjust to the change in the pack hierarchy when Thunderwolf came along. Right, and after a couple of incidents, we ended up giving Jack to some really, really dear friends of ours who took great care of him. Yes, Jack lived out a wonderful life with those friends, was recognized as a Norwegian whale hunting dog, and there were three minutes of silence in the Anne Arundel County EMS. I can't think of what it's called, but where the ambulances come from. There were three minutes of silence when it was announced that Jack had died because he had made such a large circle of friends in that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But after we lost Jack, and even before he passed on, he had been a great impact in your life. And we always wanted to have another dog. So I always was kind of looking for a dog well, that was the story. We'll, we'll skip through the story of the twin demon dogs. Yeah, they weren't familiars. No, they weren't familiars. They were something else. But a few years ago, I was working a job where I had to travel out to the country several hours to rural areas. On one of my trips, I found this stray dog that was running around. And I noticed the dog over the course of a couple of months and realized that it was stray. And he finally one night came right up to me and was jumping around and he was still a puppy and I decided to bring him home because it was obvious no one was caring for him. It was the middle of winter. There was snow on the ground and the dog had been outside just running around stray. So I felt like I had to help this dog out. Plus it helped that he looked like a similar type breed that Jack had been. He is. And so He's that lab mutt yeah. mix kind of thing. So we brought Rusty home and I, I learned later on that he was the victim of a house fire and the owners had abandoned him. And so he came home with us and ended up being named Rusty and now he's our dog and totally adapted himself into the family structure. And whereas Jack could not adjust to Thunderwolf, Rusty is just he'll let the kids do pretty much anything to him and I actually do think that it is very spiritual in a certain kind of way the way he has bonded so deeply with our family yeah I think it is just so that often second chance animals realize that they're getting a second chance somehow and that makes them kind of connect in, in a different way than than other animals mm-hmm. uh, it's a little difficult I mean, I'm having a problem kind of conveying some of the ideas of the concepts that I'm having in my mind well, what here. I know about familiars is that they find you more so than you find them. Perhaps that is so because, I mean, Jack kind of came to me from across a different way and Rusty came to us too in sort of a different kind of way. I've had this very deep relationship with Jack and to a much lesser... It's not lesser, the same with Rusty because yeah. he's more of a whole family dog. He's not yeah, Jack, any one of ours. Jack was my dog, but I mean, right. have you really ever had a very spiritual connection with any of your animals i mean you've had cats. i've always had i've always had pets we've always had a cat or a dog or both at, at different times growing up my first cat i got well from my grandma's house where you know a stray cat had had kittens in her barn kind of a thing and we brought the cat home and i always loved my cats but i never really felt what I think of when I think of familiar I think that there's this extra spiritual magical thing happening and I never really felt that with the pets that I've had I mean I've always loved them but I never really thought they had some kind of supernatural power or even when I practice ritual or anything would sit in ritual with me it just didn't really ever 
happened for me, where I felt like an animal was my familiar. I mean, it is just so that I do think of the familiar relationship to also having that magical component to it. But to me, that's not the primary element of that relationship. To me, the primary element of that relationship is the depth of spiritual connection between you and something that is outside of your personal biological physiological norm. Why do I state it like that? Because I firmly believe that while yes, animals make you know, wonderful, wonderful familiars, and you hear the stories of, you know, animal familiars all the time. I personally have always wanted to name an animal Piwacky, but uh, th- that was a classic uh, medieval sign to witch hunters that your animal was a familiar as if it had a half a dozen different particular names, and Piwacky was one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'm a firm believer in the idea that a familiar could be something like a tree or a rock, something that you have a a very deep spiritual well spiritual is not the complete enough word but a a deep spirit to spirit connection to because it is something that I very much believe in is the idea that every single molecule of everything around us is imbued with the fundamental elements of spirit and when the universe assembles those molecules in a certain way that spirit takes on a particular type of form you and I are biologically physiological human beings. Now there is a chasm of difference between the two of us because you are a female and I am a male and just that makes us think about the world in different ways sometimes. Chasm probably isn't big enough. (laughs) You're probably right but biologically we're basically the same creature. Now think about the biological chasm of spirituality between how you and I look at the world and how Rusty looks at the world or how a tree senses the world or a dolphin or a rock or my car because it is just so as an example we name our cars. Am I saying just so a lot tonight? Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's a new trend. Okay, well, hey, maybe it's, you know, the broader pagan community or whatever, <laughs> the pagan community at large. We'll have to yeah. put together a gag it's reel that has so all has my... replaced the pagan yeah. community at large. Um, but what I was, just to go along with that, I never really had a connection with what I would call a familiar, but I've always had a connection with nature and animals and, and the spirit of the woods and to a degree that extends to the inanimate objects in my life like the house and the car and all that too. I really feel a strong attraction to the fact that I believe that the animals have their own spirit and their own spirituality. Oh yes. You know their own awareness of the world that I have no concept of what their awareness is. I think that we have a certain plane where we have some things in common. You know, we're aware of each other. But to try to imagine the mind of a fish or a dog or a cat is a really good experience, I think. Oh, absolutely. It, I mean, look, it, at, look at the example set forth mm-hmm. in the Arthurian legends where Merlin, through whichever way you want to metaphorize the whole thing, helps Arthur to learn to have different levels of perception by teaching him how to see the world through the eyes of these different animals Mm -hmm. and really what you were talking about a minute ago made me think of this today we have the benefit of scientific 
investigation and a lot more advanced knowledge of biology and physiology, DNA, you know, all those kinds of things that kind of have shown that human beings are related to other animals in a material way. Right. It just, to me, it, it, it just embellishes the idea of how we can relate to animals and other objects because we do we're made up of the same things to take that to the spiritual level is not very hard well i'm i'm a believer in molecular memory i don't know if you're familiar with this concept but basically that the energy that a molecule learns to vibrate with you know a molecule that is made up that is part of what makes up my body when it goes back to the earth retains some kind of vibrational memory of what I was and then you know a thousand years ago years from now that molecule may become a part of something else and still yeah. retain that memory anyways like that when is you a were a huge... Snickers bar in your daddy's pocket <laughs> what I don't know I heard that phrase somewhere but I mean it's wow. like Anyways, yeah, that is a really. I mean, long... I understand theoretically. Yeah, the what idea you're that we're all about, made of the same stuff. But when you think about where do the molecules come from and where do they go, I mean, molecules are really small. Well, that that's that's a that's a huge that's a huge other discussion in another podcast in itself. But the whole idea that the spirituality of everything around us is a significant part of our lives and our own reaching out through whatever Arthurian Merlin-esque connection to try to see the world a little bit through the eyes of these other entities, I think is an important thing. And having a familiar or some what uh, some kind of spirit to spirit connection to something outside of your biological existence is very important for helping you expand your awareness okay so i have a story okay because i don't have any experience of familiars but i do have experiences of animals interacting with me and one of my favorites is there was a time back in my rewheeling single years i lived in this house that had a covered front porch with a porch swing on it and from time to time i would go out and sit on the porch swing and sing songs and as we discussed in our music episode that was the last episode right you know i'm a big fan of ella fitzgerald so i would sing all all these like old classic standard song just me wasting time i guess <laughs> just sitting out there and one day there was you this... were making a significant offering to the universe of course of course well there was a mockingbird that came and perched right near the edge of the porch and i could see the bird and i was just sitting there swinging and singing and gradually the bird started chirping in time with the song I was singing. It wasn't singing the tune. It would just chirp one note at the same rhythm of the song I was singing. You go, Sleeping Beauty, dancing <laughs> through the world, singing with the birds. It was just amazing to have that experience, to realize that the bird was singing with me. And I know? wonder some if... If in the bird's own perception of how he or she might see the universe was making an attempt to connect to how you see the world with its own spirituality and investigating mm -hmm. its own world and its own spirituality in that way. I mean, however you want to interpret it, I didn't really interpret it anything more than just it was such a great experience to connect with another being that you don't normally connect with. Well, precisely. <laughs> it, it, that is precisely part of the discussion is those connections and how important they are to us. All right, well, for the last 
couple of minutes or so, I guess, we've been kind of veering towards the more theoretical ideas of spirituality. I want to take it back to a more material and interactive sense by talking about some of the other things that I have spiritual connections with outside of the animal kingdom. I am a tree person, as you well know, um, heroin. I am a tree-hugging dirt worshiper. (laughs) I can't think of any other particular way to put it. I am one to casually fondle trees. God, that sounds a little dirty, (laughs) doesn't it? And see things in trees and interact with trees in a way that is kind of outside of my experience with other pagans. I have always found it, and even from a very young age, before I even had any inklings of what paganism or even esoteric knowledge or whatever, I, I don't know if I ever even heard the word occult, at the young age where I became aware of the fact that I had this connection to trees in a way that's like, I really do view trees as friends. I can run my hands over the bark of a tree and even the roughest bark, I can make this very smooth connection to it. Like, I mean, wow, I, you know, maybe this is kind of <laughs> sensuous or something, but even so much like smooth and feeling like the skin of a woman, it's very strange. And I get so many feelings, so these deep emotional feelings when I do that. I have seen signs in trees and 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 very different things one of the most magical tree experiences that i ever had was with you and it was actually over the weekend of pete and melissa's hand fasting and oh, I know uh, where you're li- going. listeners to the show will recognize that um, Pete and Melissa have been guests on our show in past episodes, but they had the hand fasting at a park where we used to have festivals. It was early on in our relationship and it was our first time camping out together, but you took me to this tree because of course you were familiar with the park from going to festivals there and you took me to this tree and you, you were saying, I want you to meet my friend. I was so who was this trepid- tree. I was so trepidatious about sharing this experience with you. This was like a hallmark point in the beginning of a relationship. If you were like freaked out or something over this one, that would have been like the end right there. Well, I did freak out in a good way. <laughs> because I actually saw a man in the tree. I mean, I actually connected with the spirit of the tree. And I felt like we had the tree's blessing from that experience of meeting the tree. And I always have loved trees myself, but not in that level. Before before that, you know, I just thought they were cool. That tree was <laughs> an amazing character, and I could tell a number of stories about interacting with that tree in a way that is like a very almost human interaction rather than an interspecies kind of interaction. And it just is so that even with trees, I just think often to myself of the importance of that spirit-to-spirit connection and the idea of perceiving the world around me through the perception of a tree and how a tree might think about things. You think of a really long-lived tree's perception of those buzzing, frantically moving (laughs) humans terracing all around it and stuff. And I love the characterization of the tree people in the Lord of the Rings. I mean, I don't want to bring an element of fantasy into it because it is a real experience for us, but the idea that trees move at a different 
time. You know, they, they move at a different speed because they, they're still. It is a scientific vein of exploration that I've tapped into on occasionally of scientists trying to figure out a way to be aware of the per- differences in perceptions between creatures that spend their lives at different speeds. And the idea that a mayfly, which lives like, what, 24 hours or something like that, gets an entire lifetime of experience in that ex- in that time frame. And that as humans, we live, you know, 70, 80 years or whatever, if you're lucky on average. So we are very attuned to the speed with which our experiences are moving at. And a tree, which lives, you know, a really good, healthy tree that that lives for a couple of hundred years experiences things much slower than us and then say perhaps a rock who might exist in that form for thousands of years whose experiences are even slower than ours to have its spiritual connection be connected to us to a rock I mean what are we to a rock a, a blink well getting back to the plant discussion okay I just have to say that I am not a plant person even though I've tried i have some house plants that are basically <laughs> their dying less legs because i'm just not very good a plant person and i've thought about this over the years because i am an animal person i i relate to animals very well and i think what it is is growing up in the traditional culture that i grew up in yeah we we had a garden we we grew plants or my mom always had flowers around the house or something like that but i always felt weird around plants because they just seemed like these like alien beings to me that they were just so different (laughs) than me and I just was kind of weirded out by them but I think that if someone at that time had presented the idea to me that plants have their own spirit they have their own awareness their own being and it's different from yours but it's something that you can connect with if you take the time to be with them and to understand that to meditate on them or care for them i think that over time i've become a lot less oversensitive to it than i was when i was a kid and just having a different perspective i mean i changed my worldview since i was a kid and now i have a respect that this is another being that has a different type of existence and that's why when i feel the energy of a plant it has a different energy than my energy oh sure you know but i don't have to be afraid of it like i was when i was a kid Right. It was a it was a very fundamental part of the exercise in my perception of spirit and energy as a very young pagan to do something like go to a meadow and feel how the energy and the connection to spirit in a meadow is different to me than the energy and connection to spirit in a forest or I mean this is something that so many people could probably very much relate to especially in the pagan community but to go into your garden and feel that we had one time and I really started batting around the idea of starting a garden again but we had a very nice garden in our backyard at one time for several years we kept a very nice vegetable and flower garden in the backyard I have pictures (laughs) (laughs) yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took pictures because I knew it probably wouldn't last. Yeah, well, just because like, I'm not that not that big of a plant person, but well, I love fresh vegetables. I mean, I love the idea of having a garden. Well, I'm just, just not that good with it. If just, I mean, just think of the spirit of when you go to a meadow, and it's very, to me, anyways, it's you know, it's very open. The spirit is very open. The energy is very open. And you go to a forest, and it's a little more guarded, but there's a certain kind of like sharing spirituality going yeah, on. I'm I'm a forest person. 
And when you go to your garden in your backyard, it has always felt to me that those plants look forward to seeing me. They look forward to me being there and rooting my hands around in their I dirt. I actually do feel that in our backyard. Even though we don't have a garden, we have the pear tree, we have the dogwood tree, we have the maple trees, yes. which are dear to our family. <laughs> yes, and I think that these trees as beings, one of the things that I perceive and feel from them is that they look forward to seeing us and that they're happy to see us quite often. It's just the way that I feel shows how we are interconnected with all these other spirits in our reality and as pagans I think that it really behooves us to be aware of all those other spirits. I mean you think about all the oh man uh, I'm gonna put this in some really derogatory terms and I hope I don't offend anybody with it but I mean all the Walmart shopping politicians sucking up buying sheeple media brainwashed people running around in the world that are absolutely unaware that there is a spiritual energy in the tree that they're walking past on their street or something and to take that even a step further for me, I believe that things like, I mean, things, just inanimate things also have their own spirit and their own personality is not right the right word, but their own awareness of the world around them. For instance, you and I have always named our cars. It seems so weird to so many people when I say that out loud, but I think it's incredibly important to establish a personal relationship with your car. I think that your car has a personality, has an awareness. We have a 25-year-old station wagon. The thing is awesome. I'm a big fan of station wagons. I always oh, have Oh, I been. love Penelope. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Our station wagon, Penelope. And I have a relationship with that car on a spiritual level where I really do believe that its personality, its awareness in its world as it can be aware of things or as I can be aware of how it's aware of things because being an entirely different species of being, I can't totally understand how a car is, is aware of the world around it, but I believe that it is. By not treating my car as just a lump of steel and a tool and by having a relationship with the spirit that I believe is in my car, that is a part of my car, that is the being of the molecules that it is made up of, creates a relationship between the two of us. I, honest to the gods, believe that that car has looked out for us and gone a little bit beyond its capacity on occasion just to take care of us as a family, because I think it loves serving us. Like a second chance animal, it was a used car when we bought it. I think its spirit recognizes this second chance and responds to it. Well, you know what? I, I agree. I, I believe in the animistic spirituality of things. But I don't really think of it in terms of the car having an awareness. I, I don't know. I, I guess when I get in the car, I feel really good. It feels like being at home. And if the car does have an awareness, I think it's probably happy when we are in it and we're, you know, doing our thing in the car. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like because I love it, because it's so calm comfy. It's so good looking. There's so many things that are good about it. I send a lot of positive energy to it. And I guess I'm coming back to more of an energy thing. I feel like if you put a positive focus, a positive energy into things, then 
you have a positive experience with them. See, I, I don't think that in the world at large, whether it be a dog or a cat or a horse or a tree or my garden or the car or the house, that there is a significant difference in the level of validity between all of us. I agree with that. I mean, as far as who is higher, who is better, who is in charge, I I agree with you. You know, spirit pervades all things in my belief. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm not better than that grapefruit <laughs> sitting on the counter because I'm made of the same stuff. We're all made of the same stuff. Uh-huh. Even the cars and everything that we think of as inanimate are made of the same stuff. Exactly. I come from a position where I don't feel that it would be right for me to assume or take for granted that my perception is the only way of perceiving the universe for example or or to to lead into the idea i mean just think of we laughed about it but the chasm between the two of us as male and female and think of how even larger the chasm between how things are perceived between us and the animal kingdom and then even larger is the difference in the chasm between us and the plant kingdom and right, how but there's just chasms it's not mountains it's not one person above the other well my point well, thing well no 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 it's and just I'm not saying, a difference yeah and, and, it's just a difference exactly and i'm not saying and, and that's exactly what i'm saying so i mean imagine the i mean imagine if you can uh, in my mind the unimaginable gulf between how a inanimate object like a car perceives the world around it because it's a it's a series of energy fields and vibrations how could i possibly assume that it is not aware differences that's the wonder, between that's the wonder of awareness in my opinion but the difference the, is between, the eye perspective the subjective perspective no one else could ever know what your subjective perspective is right right and you can't know the subjective perspective of anyone else unless you're psychic or something maybe you but know I you can connect any... with people but you're not perceiving Be- what they of... are perceiving but, be- yeah, but see, see, what i'm saying though is because of my own experience now in my life with a multitude of spirit to spirit connections human animal plant inanimate whatever that i believe that my car has a perception i don't know what it is or how it works or anything like that i can make a few guesses (laughs) you give it gas and oil (laughs) i'm sure it loves that but i can make a few guesses but just because i can't even figure out the differences between how you and i perceive things sometimes crying out loud and you just baffle the shit out of me sometimes but my car is the same way i couldn't even begin to start to figure out how to figure out how it perceives the world another thing that i wanted to lead into to talk about and the idea to reinforce why i believe in the spirit of animal inanimate objects um i was telling erwin about this earlier when we were discussing how we were going, going to go about the show and if anybody knows the name of the poet or knows where i can find this poem i would be humongously grateful and i'm almost certain that the name of the poem was the dreams of houses and the poem was all about how houses remember everything that happens to them in externally they remember the weather and storms and internally they remember the people that pass through them and the experiences that happen within them i mean it makes sense if you think of people who have the psychic ability to and i don't know the term for it but when you go to a place they have a psychic vision of the past experiences that happened in that house right 
Right. They're connecting with the things in the house, but they're also connecting with what happened there. Yeah. You know, they have an awareness. In a sense. I, I know there's a, a term for that kind of psychic ability. but In I a sense, I wonder if they are making a spirit-to-spirit connection to that thing that they are reading. That psychic ability is more than just an internal ability, but it is an externalized, like I said, spirit-to-spirit yeah, connection. Yeah, it, it is an external thing. It's have, something outside of them that they, they didn't have an awareness of it before they came to the house. It's in the house. Have you ever gone into an abandoned house? I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> I'm a supporter, albeit legally, disclaimer here, of and very interested fan in urban exploration. And I think that part of the draw in the idea of going to these abandoned places is that in the stillness of an abandoned house... Just for instance, I've been other interesting abandoned places, but in the stillness of an abandoned house, you can feel the weight, the expectancy, the sadness sometimes of this memory almost. It's just right. something that is a very distinct... I never thought of it that way. Oh, okay. I never really thought of it that way, that it could be the house being sad. I just always assumed that something sad happened there. But I'm going to challenge you on this idea. Okay. Because I definitely, you know, being a magical person, I definitely believe that you can infuse objects with energy. Right. Okay? Like, I could take a rock and infuse it with love energy and pass it to you and you could feel that energy and know what kind of energy it is. So the experiences that happen in a house are, of course, there's always emotional things happening in a family and and that energy gets absorbed into the house. So the psychic who comes in can can be sensitive to that energy trace that's left there. Well, I understand that and and I believe that plays into it as well. Yeah, there's that, but then where does the house awareness happen versus just energy that is put there by animate objects as a magical person as a person who has considered myself both a magic user wizard and sorcerer albeit a research kind of person i could go into that for a little bit but i won't the point is is i feel like i'm pretty familiar with the feeling the handling the awareness and understanding of energy and i really do think that going into an abandoned house it's more than that it's different than that it's more complex and more complete it's more personal and to say sadness is is one thing because i've been in places that felt sad that felt lonely that missed their people but i've also been in places like factories that felt like god damn they were just glad everybody was gone and they could kick back and retire <laughs> i mean and, and that's a very simplistic way to put it because it is a much more complex feeling but i've felt a variety of different emotions in different places i've been in houses that were not abandoned but were empty because they were for sale or something for instance and felt an energy that was in there that was like they were happy you know their you know their previous people were gone but they knew something new was coming along so it was not and even... when you say they, you're talking about the spirit of the house. Right, right. The, the spirit of the house. Like like expectant energy. And like I said, it's more complex and heavy and subtle. It, wow. Trying to actually say this out loud in this it, discussion. It I, I agree. It sounds weird when you talk about it, but when you're in there and you're feeling it, you can be aware of it. It's something that people don't talk about a lot. 
Right. I could go into a house and say, mm, I don't like this, but I'm not really saying it's the feeling of the house I don't like. It's more like I don't like the layout or I don't like the color of those walls or something. But there is an awareness, too, of that underlying spirit. I have been in places where I did not feel welcome, where I did not feel that the personality of the building wanted intruders, which is an odd kind of experience. But I just, it's something that lends itself to the idea of belief in these spirit-to-spirit connections that I think are so very important to us to be aware of in our pagan spirituality. That idea that was presented forth in the Arthurian literature that assuming the perception of something outside of your realm of experience broadens your own mind and your own experience in a way that is just really, really important. Important, I think to us I mean you look at the world around us and you see the things that are happening what is more significant to you the story of trees being cut down or the pain that you feel when you touch a tree stump it's important I think it's very important. I think it is. And I think the world would be better if more people had an awareness and a care for the other beings in the world. Absolutely. I think it is part of our problem as a society, as a civilization, and uh, maybe even more so specifically as a species, that so many people out there just take for granted that their way of feeling and seeing is the only way. And I think we're better than that. Okay, in lieu of the Pagan Podcast of the Week and the Living Out Loud segments, we thought that this time we really want to say a few words about the passing of Isaac Bonowitz. I had the pleasure of meeting him a number of times in my Pagan Gathering experiences. Isaac was at one time a regular presenter in this area and would show up rather often. I had the honor of escorting him to the ritual where the fire didn't light. So I got to meet him and walk with him down the path through the woods and talk to him a little bit. It wasn't that big of a conversation, you know, not as big as I wanted it to be because at the time I was a very young and inhibited person. (laughs) But I was glad to have that duty. I had read Real Magic and that was a really big influence on my life. Real Magic was one of the fundamental books for creating the language that I have used most of my magical existence to talk with other people about my magical experiences. I went to this uh, great workshop with Isaac one time, and as a focus of the workshop, he was using real magic. And I had read real magic, but I had not read it page for page, cover to cover, and there were some concepts in it that I was a little fuzzy on, and this was a little early in my pagan experience. I've done some things up to that point, and real magic was sort of the book that I picked up every once in a while and focused on a couple of chapters and then put it down for a long time and then we'd go back to it. Like I said, the workshop's focus was on thermaturgy with real magic being the reference guide. And so at the beginning of his lecture, Isaac asks the group, well, how many of you have read real magic? And two dozen hands go immediately straight into the air. And I thought to myself, oh man, you know, I'm I'm not super familiar with it. I've read some of it. I haven't read all of it. I don't understand some of it. Maybe I can talk to him later about it or something. And so I didn't raise my hand. And so as the lecture went on, Isaac would point out people 
people in the audience to try to get them to interact with him using real magic as the framework of the discussion. And it rapidly became obvious that nobody was any more familiar <laughs> with real magic at best than I was. And it did seem to frustrate him a little bit, but he took it in such a good-natured way and ran with it. And in the end, I just thought it was just terrifically humorous, the whole thing that had worked out about it. And I talked to him a little bit afterwards at uh, sitting around the bonfire, and he was an awesome guy to talk to. I, I, I Oh, you talked to him on the bonfire? Yeah, I, I've oh, talked to him. that's great. Yeah, I've gotten to talk to him several times. We, uh, we ended up sitting together after the ritual that the fire didn't burn for a little while and talked about <laughs> uh, talked about exactly why the fire burnt. It was just so that the woods had been very wet that season. And I've been in any number of situations where the so-called VIPs, very important pagans, would have been really put off by that situation. But in no way whatsoever was he. And I interacted with him several times that weekend, and he was never anything but open and friendly. Mm -hmm. it, it was just it was, was just a joy too, yeah. to see that because up until that point, I had been bumping into a number of those kind of prissy, holier than thou sort of pagans and Isaac was not that kind of person. Yeah, and while I follow the pagan belief in an afterlife of some sort and I know that he's fine wherever he is, it's still a loss to our community, I feel. I mean, he cr he contributed greatly to our community and I wish he could still keep doing that. I don't really know how to follow that because on the one hand, and my own belief in the way death works, I do believe it is a loss to us as the living... Isaac has now embarked on an unimaginable adventure. And he has, as I often say, he's beat us to all the answers. And I think that that is a great, great thing. And I will never have anything but the happiest, most positive memories of Isaac Bonowitz. And I will not weep and I will not mourn. I will celebrate the man. And in that celebration and in the memory of that celebration in our community, I think that's how we live forever in the minds of the living. Okay. Well, that's our show. <laughs> Where do you go from there? <laughs> Holy crap. We got really deep. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at paganparentsote at gmail.com. If you have your own pet familiar stories or your own ideas of trees and cars and houses, you can also contact us at PaganParentsOTE at AOL.com. And we are also on MySpace. That's right, where we have a player that you can listen to the episodes. And you our main hoster is Podbean. Where you can comment to our episodes, which I love seeing the comments. There's something in the whole Podbean thing that I sometimes, I can't really figure out how to do the reply back thing. So I think I owe several people letters. I've got to work out how to reply back to people that uh, email at me at Podbean. But I'm working on it. Podcast Pickle is floating around out there somewhere, I think. And we're on iTunes. And we if, float back and forth on the first page of Other Spirituality. Yep. If you get us through iTunes, write us a review, make it a good one. We would very, very much appreciate it. I love you, Fox. <laughs> I love you too, Erwin. I would like to thank Fox and Erwin for allowing me to share their podcast with you. I will probably be sharing a few more with you in the coming months, so that's something you'll have to look forward to. Until then, this is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope Radio.